readings today come from Genesis and Revelation. Genesis 2, 4 to 9. This is the account of the creation of the heavens and the earth. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Neither wild plants nor grains were growing on the earth. The Lord God had not yet sent rain to water the earth, and there were no people to cultivate the soil. Instead, springs came up from the ground and watered all the land. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. Then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had made. The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful and produced delicious fruit. In the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Chapter 15. The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, You may eat freely the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. And then to Revelation chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, Write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, It is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. Amen. Father, we thank you for Lou. We thank you that she is with us, and we pray that you will bless her with what she needs to say to us today. And we ask for our hearts to be opened for anything you want to teach us. Amen. 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 Thank you. Good morning. 
Well, here we are. We kicked off last week, didn't we, by uh, this new series about, uh, I'm looking at the screen so I get it right, your story, my story, his story, thinking about the importance of the stories that we have to tell. Stories that connect people who are far from God, maybe, or who don't know Jesus with the story of Jesus, because at one time we will have been those who know what it's like to live without Jesus in our lives, and now we live with him in our lives. This morning, I want to think a little bit about the importance of knowing God's story. Now, what I'm about to tell you was uh, happened uh, a little while back, because our kids are now old. Um, But let's not go into how old they are, because then you might realize that I'm probably lots older than I look, obviously. Um, I remember taking our kids when they were smaller along to see Narnia. Yeah, the Chronicles of Narnia. Now, I'm sure some of you probably know, know this story. They're the C.S. Lewis books. Brilliant they are. I, I remember I used to try and read them at least at once every other year or something because they're just fantastic stories. And probably the most famous one of the Chronicles of Narnia is The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And they made this brilliant film. So we thought, what better than take our children to the cinema because we were good parents like that, you know? We quite like to treat them every now and again. And along we went to the cinema, and we sat in our seats, and just to show you how long ago it was, I think Emily was probably so small, I mean, she's now grown up and living and working in Paris, so it was a while back, she was so small that when we put her in the chair in the cinema, the chair kind of flipped back up with her in it, because she didn't quite have the gravitas to keep the chair down, if you see what I mean. We had to get one of those booster things that was weighted so that we could put it on there and then put her on the chair. But we were at the, we'd got the popcorn, all that sort of stuff like you do. And we were watching the film, and when it came to the bit where Aslan the lion, who if you don't know the stories, if you don't know the story, then just, just go buy the book and read it. Yeah, spoiler alert. Um, when it came to the bit where Aslan the lion, who really is, who takes the character of Jesus really in the stories, Um, where he was captured, when he was captured and tied up, this bit in the story, and his regal mane is shaved in readiness for his slaughter, Emily started to get a bit jiffily in said seat, which was concerning because I thought in a minute her her, her feet are going to be up around her ears again because the seat's going to collapse on her. But when I looked around at her, I realised that she was starting to cry. Now, if you're in a cinema with a small child that's about to start crying as a parent, it's a bit of a nightmare, isn't it? It's a bit like being in church when your child starts making noise. That noise is always much louder to you than it is to anyone else. And I thought, what am I going to do? Is there enough popcorn to put in her mouth to stifle the noise? She was small enough to sort of hang up by her feet and knock it all out if she inhaled it. But, you know, um, what am I going to do? But she started really getting upset, and she cried. Oh, my goodness, how she cried with the on-screen characters when he was there, Aslan, portrayed, all for all to see, dead and lifeless and finished. Now, it was at this point, yeah, so quite a pivotal, emotive kind of moment in the story, one child crying, that the other bright spark of a child leans across me and says in quite a loud voice that everyone could probably hear over Emily's sobs, 
Oh, Emily, please stop crying. Aslan's just like Jesus in the story. And you know what happens when Jesus is killed, don't you? He just comes back to life, and that's how it ends. Aslan comes back to life. So everyone in the cinema loved us because we had one child sobbing really loudly at the most emotive point, and the other one, spoiler alert, spoiling it for absolutely everybody else. I mean, it's amazing that we all got out of there alive, really. But you see, it struck me that Joseph and myself and Ian, see, we'd coped with this story. We'd not become too anxious about the way it was panning out because we knew how it was going to end. Because we knew the story and we knew the ending at the beginning. But Emily, on the other hand, because she was a lot smaller, even though she did know the story, she hadn't made the connection between the story she was looking at and involved in on the screen and the gospel story. She'd, so she'd set out through this film without maybe having the inkling of what was going to happen in the end. And oh my goodness, it caused her and us actually quite a lot of stress. Now I've got a friend who when reading a book will always read a couple of chapters from the beginning and then will skip to the last couple of pages before continuing through the story from the start. Anybody else do that? Yeah, you see there are people that do it. There are. Why does she do this? Well, she says it's easier to deal with the roller coaster ride of the story, the plot, the tension, and everything else when you know how it ends. Fair enough. And so this morning in our readings, we've listened to a little bit from the beginning of the story from Genesis and then a little of the end of the story from Revelation. And why is that? Because obviously I want to alleviate your stress this morning rather than add to it. But also, I want us maybe just to think a little bit about our need to know God's story, our need to know it. The story contained within our Bibles that recounts to us God's dealing, to God's dealings with all of humanity. And it starts, it's a story that starts as many well-known stories do, kind of in a once upon a time way. In the beginning, God created. That's how it starts. And like many of the greatest stories ever recounted, it has a plot, it has tension, something goes really wrong, things need to be overcome. You see, you know, all of our stories that we tell reflect and redefine in many respects this story. They reflect this story, which is, I believe, the greatest story. You know, it... uh, Everything ends in this story, as most good stories do, that there is a happy ever after ending, really. In Revelation, we read of God living with his people and death and mourning and pain are going to be no more because every tear is going to be wiped away. Everything will be made new. And this is God's story, his story, history. And if you want to find meaning in your story then I believe you will only find true meaning and transformational power um, in your story by knowing and connecting with God's story. God's story, as we have it in the Bible, was written over a period of about 1,500 years. It's a long old time, isn't it? It's a long time. And it was written by over 40 different authors. There were peasants and kings and fishermen and tax collectors and doctors and shepherds. It was written in different places in Rome and Jerusalem and Babylon, which is present-day Iraq, Persia, present-day Iran, Greece, Turkey, across about 40 generations. The authors were all different people. 
really diverse backgrounds. Their stories are written in different places and at different times, Asia, Africa, Europe. They are written in Hebrew, they are written in Aramaic, they are written in Greek, and yet they all uniquely unfold one story one whole story that is weaved through all of the stories contained in this book, and it's God's story. Page by page, moment by moment, God's story is told to us through the lives and the words and the actions of this really diverse selection of people and places and situations and times. But there are also two, I believe, very obvious things that come from looking at the beginning and the end of God's story that starts in a garden and that we see ends in a city, from a garden to a city. Now, as a country girl, which I have to say probably at the very core of me, I am a country girl, this doesn't sound all that great to me, really. I mean, who wants to start in a nice garden and end in a city? Do you? I don't really fancy that myself, if I'm honest. Until you read on about what this city is like. This is a city with a river of the river of life flowing through it. This is a city with trees that flourish and produce beautiful fruit. We start in a garden. We are given a garden and we all know that we mess it up rather. Genesis 3 gives the account of how humanity messes stuff up in that garden that they are given. And yet, despite all of that, we end up in a city which to all accounts sounds as though it is probably a place with many gardens. What outrageous generosity this is on God's part, methinks. I mean, in life, if you stuff up badly in life, or if you just stuff up a little bit, you rarely get a second chance. And if you do get a second chance, if you manage it, nine times out of ten, I reckon it will be with something so much less than you had at the beginning. You're mucked up with what we did have, so if you're having another chance, you probably won't have quite so much to muck up with the second time round, if you see what I mean. But not here. Not so here. We start in a garden, we mess up big time, and we end up in a city with many gardens. I mean, that's the sort of stuff that you can't earn. It's the sort of stuff that we can't ever deserve. And this happens time and time again. On every page of this story, we find this played out again and again and again, and we use a word for it, and it's grace. It's grace. I suppose you could say it's a churchy word, unless it's your friend's name, Um, in which case, you know... But what this really is about is unmerited favour. It's about getting what you don't really deserve. And God's story, the greatest story ever told, is about grace. From the very beginning to the very end. Many people think that God is all about anger and fiery judgment. And yes, we see some of those things in response to sin. But I believe we see abounding in vast measures an immensity of grace. The second thing I think we need to notice about this story, first of all, it's about grace, but from looking at the beginning and the end is that this story is also all about Jesus. Then God said, let us, it's a plural, let us. 
Whatever the writer intended here, we are reminded that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they are all present in creation. Jesus was there at the beginning. He is the radiance of the glory of God, and he sustains all things, we are told. Adam and Eve reject God in the garden. They listen to the words of the serpent who succeeds in attempting to deceive them, tempting them away from God's ways. In Genesis 3, God speaks words then that tell about the angst there's going to be between humanity and the serpent. Someone born of a woman will deal the fatal blow to Satan. And thousands of years later, Jesus Christ, God's only son, born of a woman as a human being, disarms Satan and his powers at the cross. And then in Revelation we read, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, the glory of God, gives light right at the very center of this new city. You see, this story is one of grace, and it is all about Jesus. But what is the story? I wonder if I was to ask you this morning whether you could succinctly tell me what is God's story? Well, I've just come up, I've been thinking about this, obviously. Um, I have just come up with three words that might help us to know and remember God's story. Not because it's the only way it can be told, but because it was just helpful for me. And I hope it might be helpful for you. The first is that this is a story all about design. A story of design. See, the PowerPoint has caught up with me. This is one of the reasons I love that song that we sang. Uh, which one was that? So Will I. I love that song, So Will I, that speaks about um, all these creatures catching the breath of God and how they all evolved to his word. It's a beautiful thing. This is, God's story is a story of design. Now, I'm very... Um, aware that um, often we hear at the scientific community talking a little bit about how this world came into being. And there always seems to me to be a little bit of a clash between science and Bible, science and theology, science and religion and all that kind of stuff. So I'm just going to state right at the outset, I'm not an expert in string theory or any kind of physics stuff like that. If you would really like to have a conversation about that kind of stuff, speak to my husband. He's the one with the physics degree, so he's the one that will be able to explain all of that to you succinctly and in a really understandable and interesting way. Believe me. Believe me, because, you know, he's done that for me. Um, and I'm so much the better for it. So what I will say to you is this. The biblical account of creation that we find in Genesis is not a scientific document. It is not a scientific account of exactly how creation took place. It very simply and straightforwardly puts forward the truth that God created everything. That God created everything. That we are all here, not by some fluke, not by some accident, but because God created and designed us to be here. So when people say to me, oh, all that big bang stuff and everything, you don't believe in that, do you, if you're a Christian and a minister? Well, I've got no problem believing in the big bang, because Genesis just said, God said, let there be light. I don't know what happened when he said that. Why might it not be that? Oh, I bet you don't believe that things are thousands and millions and millions of years old with fossils because it's only in seven days. Really, is that exactly what it means? Is it a salvation issue? 
do you think? You'll only be let into heaven if you believe that creation only happened in exactly seven days and there was no big bang or evolution or anything like that. Do you really believe that that's a salvation issue? Because I happen not to. But what I do believe is this. Genesis tells us that God created everything. And he tells us that no one is an accident. No one. No one. Rabbi Sachs, he was the chief rabbi, he's died now, but he wrote this brilliant piece in the Sunday Times some time ago. Don't worry, I'm not going to read it all to you. But he did just a little clip of it, said this. God's story has never set out to do what science attempts to do, which is to pull everything to pieces to find out how it works. What God's story sets out to do is to give meaning, to answer the questions that science, even if it could describe to us in detail how the world came into being, just still couldn't answer, and that is why. Why are we here, and what is our purpose? You see, right at the beginning of God's story, we're told that God designed and created this world, nature, humanity, all of the 60 trillion cells present in a newborn baby. None of us are flukes or accidents. The designer has put himself into his creation. Now, I don't know whether you watch Grand Design's program on the telly, where they do all these big, you know, houses. And if you don't, just talk to Andy and Liz, but you know... Um, when you watch that, or if you've ever had a conversation with them about what's going on at their place, you'll know how much of themselves people in this situation put into their own designs for their homes. Of how they put so much work into it. Of how they place their stamp upon it. Do they make it their own? It's unique to them. Then the relationship, I think, that they have with their homes runs very deep. Because they design it for their pleasure, for their enjoyment, for their use, for their joy, and they love it. Let me tell you, this world is God's baby. He designed and created and all that was within it, and he loves it passionately, and he called it good. And you're part of that. You're part of that. This is a story of design, but it is also a story about destruction. Because you only have to take a look at the world today to realize that things aren't probably quite how they were right at the beginning. We are slowly but surely destroying the creation. Aren't we? You just look around, you hear the news, you see it. And you know, the fact, regardless of what's going on in places where there is obvious war that we've thought of today, we're in this stupid position where there are, there are children starving and yet in other places there are mountains of food. Children starving, and yet there are so many people discarding and throwing food away. How have we got here? This is, it's no wonder, is it, that we read in the Bible that the whole of creation is groaning for liberation. Do you know, some of the saddest verses in the whole of God's story, I think you can, well, there are several verses that are sad, but some of them you find in Genesis uh, 6, the Lord saw that the wickedness of humankind was great in the earth that every inclination of the thoughts of their hearts was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he'd made humankind on earth. And it grieved him to his heart. It grieved him to his heart. Because we as human beings have this desire, you see, to do our own thing, our own way, and disregard God. We've become our own undoing. You know, just as Adam and Eve in the very first garden decided to put themselves first, 
um, an unleashed destructive power all around them, we continue to do the same thing. And all of this makes it incredibly difficult. It makes it impossible for us to live in relationship with God as we were created and designed and purposed to. Our wrongdoing has destroyed our ability to be in a close relationship with God. Why? Well, I suppose if we think of God in his holiness and sin-freeness being light, and us in our wrongdoing and our sin being like darkness, or that bringing darkness into us, what does light do to darkness? It consumes it, really. Where there is light, there can be no darkness. And because God is holy and we are sinful, it is very difficult for us to get close to God. We have destroyed our ability to have a relationship as we were designed to, and we have no power on our own to rid ourselves of this situation in any way. We are in a hopeless situation. This is a story of design, but it is a story of destruction. But thanks be to God, it is also a story of deliverance. God's story tells us this wonderful truth. We spoke a little bit earlier about it being a story of grace and all about Jesus. And this culminates in it being a story of deliverance. A rescue for each and every one of us. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son so that whoever believes in him will never die but have everlasting life. Jesus came into our world as a human being. Living, he showed us what love really is. Dying, he takes upon himself the consequences of our wrongdoing, which is ultimately death. And therefore, he saves each one of us by removing our wrongdoing and then rising from the dead, coming back to life. He shows us once for all and for all that we can have life through him, a relationship with God that we were designed to have because of all that he has done. He makes it possible for each of us to be as though we have never sinned, that we have no darkness in us at all. This is a story of design and destruction, but it is a story of glorious deliverance. Do you know this story? this morning. And when I, when I ask that, I mean, not just that you know it in your head, I mean, is it your story? Has your story connected with God's story? Do you know the reality of these three words, if you like, in your everyday life? Do you know the thrill of realizing that you are God's design, no matter what anybody else has ever spoken over you? Even if no other human being on earth stood to applaud your arrival, God smiled with joy upon you. Do you know the truth of your own destruction and that doing your own thing will only lead to your own undoing? Do you know the truth of the reality that everything that we are must bow to Jesus Christ? Do you know the reality of God's deliverance for you through Jesus? Do you know that in him your future your future is full of hope and joy and peace and love. In the words of St. Julian of Norwich, that you know that all will be well. All will be well. God's story from the very beginning 
to the very end. It's a story of design, a story of destruction, a story of glorious deliverance. It is a story full of grace, and it is all about Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you love all you have created. We thank you that no one person sat in here this morning is an accident. Each one of them has been designed with love, created with love for a purpose. We thank you for the beauty and the wonder of the whole of your creation. Father, forgive us for the ways in which every day we destroy it. Through greed, through selfishness, through a desire to do what we want our way. For the things that we do and the things that we do not do. For every moment when we live not acknowledging the true lordship of Jesus Christ in every part of our life and living, forgive us. And Father God, we thank you so much that you sent your son, Jesus. Jesus, we thank you that you came into this world as one of us for us, showing us what it means to be a human, showing us what it means to be in relationship with God in the way we were designed and created to be, and making it possible for each one of us to have a restored relationship so that we know that we can look forward to the end of the story and have hope. We thank you, Jesus, that you are the way, you are the truth, and you are the life. May we continue this week to be those who are more deeply connecting our story into yours. May the way in which we live tell this story this story of design, destruction, deliverance. May we speak it with our mouths and live it out in our actions. This story full of grace, all about Jesus. May we live this story as your people, we pray, for the glory of your kingdom. Amen.